single in the 90s kind of world i'm glad i got my girl ah! <laughs> what's up with <laughs> look at you you girl look at you got the got the the dennis robin in there okay <laughs> yeah, I, um i got it like a little over a year ago in addition to like my art, I already have my nose pierced, but I really wanted something different. So I wanted yeah. to get my Tupac Shakur going on too, but I got allergies, so snot will come out of there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not, not going to lie. Like when I get stuffy, I'm just like, God, this is so disgusting. Like how do I clean <laughs> ring out? Like I hope there's no snot <laughs> hanging on when I'm done. <laughs> that snot bubbles in there. Uh, <laughs> thank you for doing this. This is going to be, this is going to be fun. Absolutely. I'm honored that you asked. I, I don't even know what to say, but thank you. <laughs> I figure all, everybody I know has an interesting life. I feel like when you talk as adults, it's a whole lot better than talking as like people who haven't experienced life yet, you know? Yeah. And I think when, you know, our kids look back on this, it's like, oh man, like that's how it was when our parents grew up. Okay, cool. This is for oh. your great, great grandkids. Yeah, exactly. That they didn't have talks, they didn't have the technology. Yeah, because technology is like 10 times more advanced than I ever thought it would be. Although, you know, living in Japan, I felt like we were always ahead of technology, regardless. We were. I remember you know? I saw freaking Rena was the first chick I ever saw that turned on her, her car with her phone. I was like, how'd you do yeah. that? Yeah, like little things like that. I'm like, huh. And then you get to the States, you know, we moved here in 07. And I'm just like, we already had that stuff, guys. Like, it's nothing fancy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, let me know when you're ready. You ready? I'm ready, dude. All right. Do I need tissue? Like, I don't have any tissue by me, so I guess I'll just have uh, to you might, need to get, you might need to get tissue. Not going to lie. We All right. Well, then let me, let me run and get some tissue. Get some tissue for the, for, the water, for the water works. I'm a crier to begin with, so. We all are, we all are criers. <laughs> no, it's not accepted for, the, for the, the men with beards to cry, but everyone's a crier. It's the right situation to cry, you know? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm ready whenever you are. All right, folks, welcome back to the podcast, One Man, One Tree in a Hill. I'm your host, Jared Waters. We have a special guest, ladies and gentlemen. We have a doctor. We have, uh, we would say, a fitness guru. We would say <laughs> uh, a Texan and a friend. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Alora Bellinger. How are you, madam? I am wonderful. Hello to everyone listening and it is an honor to be talking with you. It's been so long. <laughs> Has been a long time. It's been like, what, 15 years, 15? Yeah, 15 when years? did you guys leave Japan? Oh, four. Yeah, so yeah, it's been a while. It's oh, been about four. 15, 16 years. But sometimes I think it's weird because through like social media, we'll hit each other up, hey, I like a picture. So it's kind of like conversation, but it's nothing like conversing, you know? Exactly. It's it's that kind of check-in. Like, I feel like when we're online, we're checking in. And then when you actually get to talk to someone, you're like, oh, I actually caught up with whoever, you know? Yeah. It's like check-ins. That's what me, me, Garrett, and Joe check in. I'm like, oh, what? oh, you see what happened? Congratulations. Also, well, let me go say congratulations, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And I'm, it's, it makes me happy, too, that you guys are, like, still really close. Like, that makes me so happy. <laughs> you know what's crazy is that 
I was talk I talked to Garrett last night and I said, as it's crazy how everyone is exactly the same, it's just in different hubs, you know, like everyone yeah. keeps in contact and a different contact and you're just sitting there just like, oh, we're just you just gotta ask, you're like, what's up? Hey, what up? And they're guaranteed one person in your little hub has heard from someone else that you haven't heard of. So you can just go ahead and like ask about that person. Yeah, that's what it's I was like, I was, I was like we're not stalking each other, just, we are checking in on each other. And like what? <laughs> You really think about like we're only really together a small amount of time in life, but when you see somebody every single day for three years, that's a really long time. Like you don't even And you're on a, such a tiny base too. Yeah. You know, you're in such close quarters. Those three years feel like dang, I've I've known this person for like the last twenty years, it feels like. Yeah. You know what? So what we're gonna do is before we get to how we knew each other, we're gonna go and find out how do we get to becoming a doctor, how do we get to this this text and how do we get to a Laura now? That's our goal. So let's go back. Let's go to the beginning. All right. Where are you born? Where are you from? What was the first time? Where was the place where you entered out the womb and you said, I'm here? Um, I said hello to the world in 89 on Yokota Air Base, Japan. Actually, I think it was another base. I was born somewhere distant near the base. I don't remember like Tachikawa Air or whatever, but yeah, I was born in Japan in 1989. What? Yeah, born and raised. So I, born and raised, absolutely. You know what's crazy is that we're, we're, we're born the same year. Really? I didn't know that because I, you're older, were you I born? you're older than me. <laughs> what month were you born? April. January. That's okay. what I think. I think sometimes we think how far we are. We're, all, we're not. We're either all the same age. Yeah. Freak. You were born yeah. in Japan. You were born on the base. Thirty-one this year. Just turned thirty-one. Yeah, I turned thirty-one in January. Mm-hmm. Feels good, right? I mean, sure. <laughs> 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 you know, I come back from my workouts. I'm like, Ooh. yeah, I understand. Oh you God, this get... hurts a lot more than it did. <laughs> you got to get that Epsom salt. That's what you got to do. I know it's yeah. like old people stuff. Got to get the Bengay out. Mm-hmm. I'm taking Tums for my indigestion if I'm going on girls' trips and we're drinking too much. Like, what? I used to be able to sleep this off. Tums. <laughs> tums. I heard commercials about those Tums. So, so you grow. So you're born on a, You're born in Japan. So what was? So what was it like? Are you from a big family, small family? Um, I'd say medium-sized family. My mom has or had. My mom had, I think, four sisters and one brother mm-hmm. and then my dad had one sister and i believe two two brothers but because i was so far away from everyone i never really felt like i had a huge family i grew up away from them my entire life so i only saw them in the summer times mm. you know when school's out in japan we come back to louisiana or wherever for the summer so i would say that my family size is medium but i think if i had actually grown up here with my family i would say oh it's a huge family massive so you're but you're so you're raised by southerners then so your people are yes. from louisiana and my both of my parents were from louisiana my dad moved to texas very young my mom stayed in louisiana until she graduated undergrad and then moved to california for school what part of louisiana Benridge. freak baton rouge golly yeah. i just went there yesterday actually <laughs> isn't it crazy that you're the only one that probably has no twang are you yeah from- i don't I, I mean, people never know where I'm from. They always ask when they talk to me. They're like, 
you're not from here. Are you, are you from the Northeast? And I'm like, mm, no, not. What it, are you California? And I'm like, mm, you're a little closer, but no. <laughs> That's a shock when I tell people they're like, really? But, but you speak English so well. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm an American. It's amazing how ignorant people are. It's amazing how, no, I'm just not ignorant how unaware they are of the world. Yeah, they really are. And, you know, when I moved to Texas, I, we moved to Houston because my mom had gotten sick. So we moved to Houston and here I am in this big city and I'm just, I'm kind of cold. It is a culture shock, believe it or not. It was a culture shock for me because I'm talking to these people who've like never left the U.S. I'm just like, what do you, what? You don't travel? What? That's not normal. <laughs> we were, we were privileged. We probably didn't realize it, but we're really like privileged, privilege of seeing that aspect of life. Well, yeah, what about seriously. your siblings? Your siblings. Did so, you, how many siblings were you guys? Okay, so I was actually my mom's only. So I was technically raised as an only child. My oh, dad okay. has two other kids who are were 17 years apart. So they have their own family. Their kids are my age. 17 so. years apart. God. Yeah, we're 17 years apart. Um, and then I'm sure you remember Sean Bavette. My mom, I mean, he was like a brother to me, still is. And so that's kind of like my brother figure growing up. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I have my half-brother and half-sister. So did you feel like an only child, like, growing up? Honestly, no. Um, I think living on such a small base, I saw people come and go so many times in my life that I knew that I, like, I always had someone to hang out with. I was never alone. I always had friends. So I never felt like I was an only child, although... I think my friends knew that I was an only child. Like they, it was very evident to them because they're like, oh man, Laura has such a cool stuff. My parents would never get that for me. And I'm just like, sorry. <laughs> like, sorry. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> was it a, was it a strict household where you like, was it strict? Because being raised by Southerners, they can, they're completely different. I think they're completely different than, Northern parents, Southerners have their own way of life, especially yeah. Louisiana and Texas mixed together. So what was that like in that household? Was it strict? Um, I would say it's half and half. Like sometimes it was, it was strict when it needed to be. Let me put it that way. It was strict okay. when it needed to be. My mom being the educator that she was, I had to keep my grades up. So that was pretty much the strictness if that's a word that's kind of like the extent of if I didn't keep my grades up wasn't doing anything with friends couldn't play games couldn't play sports couldn't have the car once I had a car so that was like the level of strictness in the house it's just like keep your grades up stay out of trouble you can do what you want to do was she the authoritative or absolutely oh that's funny absolutely. isn't that how most southern moms are the authoritative figure She's very, very much so. And I, and I often wonder too, if some of that is because I was her only child and she had me so late. Mm. My mom was 45 when she had me. Ooh, 45. Yeah. And I mean, talk about the risks that come with that after, I think it's like 36 or 37, mm -hmm. the risk of certain conditions just increases exponentially. So for her to have me at 45, I just felt like, you know, for her, it's like, this is my, this is my child. So I need to do everything possible 
to make sure that my child is the best version of herself that she possibly could be. So I think some of that extra strictness came from that as well. Wow, 45. That's seemed, yeah, my, that's what my grandmother had my dad when she was 45. But back in the day, they were just popping them out. They didn't really, yeah. like, 40 you know, you hear people say, I, we, I have 17 siblings, and I'm just like, Jesus. By the two of the same no people? Time. Right. right. <laughs> I'm like, um, so your mom's vagina, how's that going for her? Speaking <laughs> <laughs> <Honestly, laughs> from a medical standpoint, I'm just curious. 17, golly. What's going on? <laughs> Sometimes now I kind of wish I had my kids when I was 16. I'm just like, you know what? They'd be grown right now. Now we can have real conversations. Right? Like baby, going out of your house, you'd be like, good. You're about to leave this house. I still have time to live my life. Great. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, so what is your earliest memories of like school? What is your earliest memories of since you lived there? You're pretty much, dang, that's a long time. 18 years. So what was, what was elementary school? Do you remember your kindergarten teacher? Do you remember like going to school, like the, the excitement of going to school? Do you remember back then? So my earliest memory is I actually went to an international school for a little bit off the base. And I remember my mom would, um, it was on the west side. And as soon as you crossed over, over by the um, the flight line, and I guess you want to call it the airport. I don't even know what to call it, the airport. But you'd go over across uh, six, Route 16. And right in front of what used to be the old BX2 was where they would pick us up and drop us off to go to school off the base. And I just remember hating it. I hated being away from my parents. Um, I hated being away from the base and I didn't like it. So I think I did kindergarten there, if I'm not mistaken. And then I transitioned to my mom's school. She taught at one of the elementary school. I transitioned to that school first grade. Were they learning, was it a dual language school when you were going off the base? Yeah, I think it was. and. It's funny because now I wish that my mother's strictness was like, no, you're staying at that school until you're X years old. And I just like, I wish that she just kind of pushed me a little bit more to do that. Um, but I think that yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was dual because there definitely were definitely kids in my class. <laughs> yeah, so you're into it early. So, so like kindergarten, you go back to the base now. Go back to the base or end of kindergarten, first grade, I go back to the base. Do you remember any of your first friends from like five or six? Do you remember those people? Yeah, so I had, so my first grade, one of my first grade friends, his name was Barry. I had a friend named Mackenzie. I had a friend named Ramey, which I still actually talk, I actually met up with Ramey when I was traveling for work in Maryland. So I have like a few little people that I remember. Um, one of my mom's coworkers, I was friends with her son, Darian, and I'm trying to think who else. And then my dad's, so my dad was a Mason, a Shriner, Ooh. and he had a friend who's an Eastern star and she had a daughter and my mom used to babysit her and her name was, is Jenea. So I have like these little memories of these people that I first met. And I mean, I feel like I've looked them up on Facebook a few times. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember you. I remember you. But out of all of them, Ramey and Jenea are probably the only two that I've had some sort of like physical contact with afterwards because I was passing through the state. Did you, when you were in school, do you remember it? Do you remember like your teacher at all? Did you ever have like a teacher that like was super nice to you or did you, what were your experiences going up in school, especially in elementary school? Yeah. So this was the benefit of having mom for a teacher. She got to pick all your good teachers. Like you would just, your kids would be randomly assigned to teachers, but because my mom had already worked at that school for over 20 years, she got to Japan in 74. 
1974. So she had already been working at that school since the 70s. So she had, she knew the teacher. She knew who was good. She knew who she wanted me to have. And I'm not saying the other teachers were bad. She just knew like, okay, for my daughter to excel and to get the kind of education that I want her to get, these are the teachers that I want her to have. So my first teacher, her name was Miss Saitama. Um, cute little white lady, last name Saitama, so I'm assuming she married someone Japanese, but a cute little sweet white old lady. <laughs> What do you remember about her? What What do you remember? Do you remember her being nice? Yeah, I think most people when they have elementary school, they just remember either the teacher being nice or the teacher giving them stuff. I feel like I know that she was nice and that's probably the extent that I remember. Um, I just remember running, like lining up in the hallways and her just telling us to be quiet and just make sure we don't disturb the other classes. And she was kind of like, she was very grandmother-like. You know, for her being the age that she was, it was a very grandmotherly figure. And I I don't think I ever got in trouble in that class because I just loved Miss Saitama so much. <laughs> was it weird with your mom being at the school? Was your mom like always checking in or your mom saying, hey? Uh, I wouldn't say she was checking. I don't think she was checking in like my first three years. So first through third, I don't think she was checking in. But as I got up like fourth, fifth and sixth, she was definitely checking in more often and I think it's just because you know you're what fourth grade and 11 years old you can really start to cause some kind of trouble because you really know what the consequences are of a few right. things so I think by then she was like okay I gotta keep an eye out on her but honestly my mother never hovered over me I don't remember her ever hovering even through high school I don't remember her hovering well, what was dad like when you were young? Was he that type of dad? Was he more affectionate when you were a, a child? Yeah, he was, I would say the affection decreased as I got older. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, he was way more affectionate. I was more of a daddy's girl, very young. And then I became more of a mama's girl. And that kind of like stayed for a very long time until she um, actually passed away, which I know we'll get to down the road. Um, but yeah, he was way more affectionate. and. My dad, being a military veteran, I don't think he ever got rid of the persona of being in charge of someone and barking out orders. And so when I was younger, especially when I started playing sports and he wanted to teach me how to do things, he'd get so upset if I, would, if I didn't do it his way and I, just, I would cry. Like I hated, I hated trying to learn things from him because I'm like, I don't understand why you're yelling at me. Like, I don't get it. <laughs> like, what's the problem? What was the first first sport that you played with him? I think I want to say it was basketball, but I was a really chubby kid and I hated running, so that didn't last very long. <laughs> I was like, nah, too much running for me. Even when I was playing, like I played soccer too. We did a lot of intramural sports uh, when I was younger. Even playing soccer, I was like, nah, this is too much running. Can I just like be a defender or a goalie? <laughs> So when you're so your so your elementary school years, you're meeting friends. Is that when the first time you were introduced to people leaving your life? Did you like understand that as a child that in a couple of years my friends are going to leave? No, definitely first and second grade I didn't. Third grade I actually didn't finish third grade. Oh, you dropped out. And that was because my mom got sick and we had to come back to the states. But I would say that I really started noticing people leaving probably around the fourth grade. And 
you know, it was really evident like, oh, so-and-so is leaving, or this is a new kid, and they're only here for a few years, so that means they'll be gone by the time we're in seventh grade, so, like, I was actually starting to do the math in my head, like, oh, man, these kids are going to be gone before we even get to, like, 15 years old, that's really sad, um, especially there are people that I like to hang out with. It's crazy, you realize that so fast, right? You kind of pick it yeah. up. Yeah, caught on very, very quickly. So, third grade, so, for, before that, do you know how your parents met? So my dad told me a little bit about it. My understanding was that they actually knew each other when they were in high school. How? I don't really know. Um, I don't know because I'm like, y'all are in two different states, cities, but whatever. Um, but I think they had just kind of crossed paths over the years consistently. And um, I think he had re-met my mom when he was in Japan at some point or of the other. And then that's when they just kind of continued on. Married. That's kind of like the gist of the story that I understand. <laughs> Oh, you broke up a little bit, so it like paused, and I was like, "What did she just say?" Oh, <laughs> I said, "Like, um, what? What was the last thing you heard?" Let me ask that. You said, "I think they're in two states," and it was like, "Oh, okay." So I think they're in two states, two completely different states when they met in high school, supposedly. But over the course of my dad being in the military and then my mom living overseas, I think that they just had crossed paths a few times, and at some point, I think they just were dating. I don't really know what year they started dating, and then. They eventually got married, but I do know that my dad did meet up with my mom in Japan at one point. I think that just kind of solidified their relationship. So how old was he when he had you? 46, 46. Oh, wow. They were really... They were in their mid-40s. They really wanted it. Yes, they wanted a child. <laughs> they really wanted a child. So, so your third grade year, so your mom, your mom gets sick, and then what's it like? You, do, or does she talk to you about it, or does your dad talk to you about it? Like, what's that conversation like? So, back in the day when you had water beds, this is when you had water beds, I remember my parents yeah, coming into my room early in the morning, before school, sitting me down, telling me that my mother had breast cancer. Mm. And I don't think I understood that part, but I understood that they were saying that every year from the time I would think I was one years old to teenage years we were going every single year to see family so you know they're sitting down with me and they're talking to me about this and I'm sure I was crying I really don't remember but I do remember them sitting at the side of the bed and telling me like okay we, your mom has to she has cancer we have to go get it treated we're going to go back to the states for like the next four months and I'm just sitting here thinking like so I'm not going to finish school like, what about my friends? What am I going to do? Like, you know what a kid would think. Right. It's not, not thinking like, oh, well, mommy's, mommy's really sick. Like, mommy could die. Like, we're not, kids don't think about that. I was thinking like, well, what does that mean for school? What does that mean for my friends? Yeah, I figure, especially, especially like the, the psychology of a child's mind. It's not really able to process that type of, that type of uh, event that happened, but it was kind of, at least you had two parents that loved you enough to sit you down and like talk to you about it. Yeah. Um, and that's crazy I, how you were introduced to cancer so young because I didn't, I didn't never knew where cancer came from. I was like, man, why are people just dying of cancer? I felt like it was just, right. yeah. Like, where does this come from? Because no one else in the family had it. None of her sisters, her mom didn't have it. So, you know, I think our thought process was especially as I got older and we talked about it, I think the thought process was that it was environmental. Whatever that environmental thing was, we don't know. But yeah, it definitely 
was not a genetic thing. Although being her only child, I'm definitely more attuned to the fact that, okay, even though it wasn't genetic for her, it doesn't mean that it's not genetic for me. And so I have to make sure that I'm regularly getting checked, which I don't think I need to do right now, but I probably should start. <laughs> so when, when you do that, so where do you guys go? Is this your first time ever going back to America or you've already, you've been back and forth? So you know the, or was it a culture shock at in third grade going to America? Hold on, back up. What was so was this the first time when you're in third grade that you actually leave? Is that when you leave? Sorry. No, it's all good. You know, sometimes we get those technical difficulties, but it's good. You know, that just means it's about to be a better one. You know what I mean? That's all it means. <laughs> no more interruptions. The interruptions happened early on, so we're good. We're fine. Okay. So we are in your timeline. We're at third grade. Third grade, your parents just sat you on your waterbed, and they're telling you about your mom's breast cancer, right? Mm -hmm. so Correct. Do you guys move? back home or do you just visit essentially we think of it like a long tdy we moved okay. back to louisiana for about four months so was that a culture uh, shock for you yeah it was i was really happy to be around family and my younger cousins because they were all still living there but you know for four months i didn't and i didn't see my home i didn't see my friends and things like that so it was a little shocking especially because so much of my mom's time was being spent in the hospital you know they had those little housing apartments and stuff for family when they're coming in come on man don't do this to me they have those they have the housing for family members when they come in for like um treatments and stuff so we essentially stayed in like a little house not too far from the hospital so we could go and see her every day but it still wasn't, it was new. It wasn't anything that I was got used to. Honestly, I don't think I ever got used to it, but I thought it was really cool to like live in a real house, not, okay. not based housing. <laughs> yeah. How long was she, was she, was this like a short stint or was she sick for the whole? So, uh, God, she got, we got there in April. They removed the, cancer and did all the sort of treatment across four months so from april to august we came back to japan in august however my mom had to come back every six months for a checkup mm -hmm. so from the time we got back i guess that would put me around age nine to the time i think 15 or 16 she was going in every six months actually i lied until i was about 11 or 12 every six months and then it was every year 
Oh, wow. To see if it was in remission, right? Yes, and she was in remission. And every single time. Do you remember, did she lose her hair? Do you remember that? Do you remember like her going through, or was chemo not, was chemo a thing back then or? Chemo was a thing. Uh, I remember her losing all of her hair. I remember her carrying around her little chemo patch. So my mom didn't want to stay in the hospital and get chemo, which I don't even know if that was a thing, but they gave her like a little fanny pack with her treatment. And so she went around with that everywhere. I remember her buying her wigs um, and things like that. I, she actually ended up getting mastectomy. So, you know, I remember helping her actually get ready and like she showed me what her bra looked like because it's kind of like they put a, an implant in the, in the bra to make it look even. So I remember that. Um, she also ended up having lymphedema, which is just basically your lymph nodes don't drain the fluid like they should. So your arm swells up mm -hmm. for those who don't know. So she had like a sleeve for that. I remember all of that. And then I also remember when her hair started growing back I remember when she got a couple of years later, she ended up getting reconstructive surgery. So there's a lot of little, I don't want to call them painful instances that I remember, but a lot of, I think, significant instances about this process that I remember. You had to grow up pretty fast. You know what I mean? You had right. to take responsibility. That's a, a lot, especially for an eight-year-old. Yeah, I had to under, like, um, I got my first cell phone in fourth grade because my mom, when she'd go back to the States, it would just me and my dad. So because my dad was working and I had to go to school, my mom made sure that I had her phone to call my dad if I needed anything. So I got my first cell phone when I was like 10 or 11. Mm. And I'm like, you know, call my, my dad if I need anything and he's calling me. Um, and so there's a lot of things where my friends didn't understand because their parents were, you know, like maybe in their early 30s and maybe they weren't sick or anything like that. And the only people that they knew in their family who were sick were their grandparents or who got sick. So for me, it was, it wasn't as isolating though as I thought because teachers were bringing us food. They were cooking for us. They were checking in on, on the family, on my dad and I. So I, I always enjoyed that aspect of it. So I, again, I never felt alone, but it's also because I think I still didn't understand the seriousness of it. And you're a part of a big community. Your mother, she's been there for 20 years, so she probably knew everyone. Oh, she knew everyone. And then on top of that, my dad being a Mason, he became a Mason in the 70s, and then they had their stuff on the base. So mm -hmm. he had his friends as well. So, you know, you have this community who's known me since I was basically born. So again, never felt, no, never felt alone. <laughs> Did you ever feel like your friends were like older? You just knew a lot of older people? Did you ever notice that? Like, it's like you had a lot of people watching over you. I did. I felt like I had a lot of um, extended family members. Let's mm -hmm. put it that way. Um, I was friends with a lot of people, um, a lot of kids my age, but I felt like I always had like teachers who were kind of like family who I could go to about stuff and who I could like, spend the afternoon with if I wanted to and, and everything like that. So that, I, I really do like that because if I wasn't ready to go home and a teacher was to school, like I could stay at the school until my dad came to pick me up. Although I didn't live far from the school, so I could have walked home. So when you're, so this is your third grade, you're going to fourth grade. Do you ever have, do you ever miss memory or moments? Was your mom ever the type of person who would either like, show the weight that she was carrying or she carried it alone like no one really knew what she was going through 
I would say she carried it alone. I don't think I ever saw. Really? I don't think I ever saw my mom. The only time I ever saw my mother cry was when my grandmother died. And I was, that was in 2001. Hmm. So that's the only time I can vividly remember my mother crying. And I think another time she let her guard down with me was actually when she got her reconstructive surgery. I was so scared to like touch my mom or kiss her or anything like that before she went into surgery. So when she came back out, um, you know, she said to me, she's like, Laura, you didn't give me a kiss. You didn't say, I love you. Cause I mean, I didn't know. And so when she said that to me, I of course am crying and I'm just thinking like, Oh my God, she's right. Like I could have lost my mom. And I told her, I was like, I was scared. I didn't know I could touch you. You know, like I, I didn't know what the rules were. So I think from that point on, I was like stuck to my mom. <laughs> like I was stuck to my mother's hip from the, from then on. Did she go back to work or? Oh, yeah, she, she went right back, back to work. She, in fact, I don't remember. The only time she really took off was when we came to Louisiana. I think she went straight back to work um, as soon as we got back. And I don't even know if it was like on a part-time basis. It might've been on lighter duty, but I don't think it was on like a part-time basis at all. So you have, so you get back, you guys get back from Louisiana, you got your cell phone. Does the family dynamic change a little bit because your mom was sick? Do you notice like your dad, is he like more, like not more worried, but you know, there's a, a precaution a little bit or you guys go back to normal? I think he became a little bit more strict and a little bit more. Um, strict like how? Strict as in. Like, so I'll say when my mom was, when I was staying with him. So let's say that we got back from Louisiana. My mom, six months later, had to go back for a checkup. So I think my dad was a little bit more strict or tried to be like my mom, mm. but he couldn't personify her. He did it his way, which is the authoritative sergeant figure that he was in the military. And I'm just like, no, like, what? Like, what is this? Like, I, I wasn't, I wasn't receptive to it at all. I was not receptive to it at all. How was he being receptive of you not being receptive? Was oh, it, I mean, we clashed. Not like horribly, but I definitely kept to myself. Like, I didn't really talk to my dad a lot um, or anything like that. It was just, and I think, again, that's me trying to process also, like, what my mom, like, my mom's not here and it's just me and my dad. Like, I want my mom. Like, I want my mom here with me. And um, I think trying to kind of get that balance of me and my dad spending time was really hard, especially because he didn't do the things that my mom, my mom like loved to go out to eat. She loved to do all this. And my dad didn't want to do all those things. He was honestly, I think his way of coping was spending time with his Masonic brothers, you know? And so like, he might take me to stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't want to be here. Like, what am I supposed to do? You know, you guys are drinking and smoking and stuff like that here at a party with, you know, of course, kids and their families are here too, but I'm just like, I don't really want to play with anyone. Mm. <laughs> so his coping method was, was more, it's like a cave. He went into like a cave a little bit. Yeah. And I saw more of that too, as I got older, you know, um, which we'll get to as well. I don't want to fast go too far ahead, but, um, I think that was the first glimpse of my, how I saw my dad deal with heartache and deal with something so serious 
because I mean, I knew how much he loved my mom, you know, I knew how much he loved her and I knew that he would not, he wouldn't know what to do if she had died then. You ever see them like holding hands and stuff that they were, they affectionate? For a little bit, but after we got back from Louisiana, not so much. I think there were some instances and some disagreements with finances that happened when I, when we were in Louisiana, I think my dad had done some things with finances that my mother did not like. Mm -hmm. And um, without getting into too much detail, let's just say that she decided to change her retirement plan to make sure that I was included and that the money would go to me if needed. Mm. And so I think there were some instances where my mother was not happy about that. And so I think she probably felt betrayed, you know, like this money was supposed to be for our daughter. You tapped into it. I'm not happy about it. And so I noticed then on, especially when we got back from Louisiana, I noticed that the distance was a little bit more. Are you saying you know the distance more as a 31-year-old woman? Are you saying at this young age at nine, you picked up the things that was going on? No, like now I know it was more. And I wouldn't say that I realized it until I was like 12 or 13. Right. You know, when I'm younger, I don't really know. I, I didn't really know. Like I know now looking back at 31, like, okay, that's, that's what they were going through. And then um, I think the reason why I said that like I knew around 11 or 12 is because my mom started taking me with her, with her back to the States. So every six months, you know, she'd go in January, then we'd go again in July. So I'd go with her in January, she'd pull me out of school and then I'd go right back in July with her. And I noticed that our summers became a little more just me and her mm. and not so much my dad. Got it. So how that all happened, I, I don't really know. It's crazy how, as a young age, we pick up on things, you know? I think yeah. our parents were from that school where you didn't ask questions, you didn't say right. anything else, and they don't really, they didn't know how to talk to a child about certain things. But we are very, like, smart to be like, no, nah, something's not right. Yeah, and I knew, like, I just, I could, you could feel it in the air. You know, when I think back to instances, especially like if my parents got into like an argument about something, you know, I could really, I could just tell like, man, this is, this is, I don't remember this when I was younger. Like, this is new. What about your brothers and sisters, your brothers, your ones that are 17 years older than you? Did they ever call you and check on you and say like, hey, how are you dealing with this? Or it's just you three? It is just us three. Um... My brother and sister um, did not have a wonderful relationship with my dad. Okay. And I only met them once in the years I grew up in Japan. That was around 11 or 12. My mom, my mom really tried to like push the relationship, but I don't think my dad wanted it. I don't think it was a mutual agreement between what my mom wanted and what my dad wanted. And so for... I, will, I met them once, like I said, and then I don't meet them again. I don't see them again until 2015. So 11 and then 2015. Jeez. So that my dad just did not, they did not have a great relationship at all. I talked to them here and there, you know, but I never saw them again until 2000. Actually, I saw my sister in 2013, but still, that's like 12 years later. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a super long time. Yeah. So technically, you really pretty much just had your friends and it was that, that little party of three. Party of three and then the Yokota family. When I say that my family, 
my friends are my family, I mean that wholeheartedly. You know, that's who I grew up with. That is who I talked to during situations and hard times, you know, as a teenager, boy issues, parent issues, whatever. That's who I talked to. You know what? When you think about it, every it seemed like we were like baby therapists. <laughs> I know, we were like, we were teenage therapists that really didn't know what other advice to give except for, oh, I'm really sorry. Man, I hate when my parents do that. <laughs> we were the only, that, that's, when I talk to people, when I, I meet other people and they're asking like, how do you, how are you so, and I was like, man, I guess I, I thought everybody was like this, but like everyone like understood that everyone's houses weren't in order. Right. And that was the thing that we kind of like all bonded on. So your parents, so we get to the point, your mom gets back and this is like the, after the six months, you're in fourth mm -hmm. grade. Do you tell your friends this now or is this, or is it awkward because everyone knows? Like it seems like the whole base knows, right? Because they're big people, they know everybody. The whole base probably knows. I actually don't know if my friends knew. Got it. I don't think any of my friends knew. I just think the teacher and whoever knew my parents knew. Did you they want to keep that to yourself though or what? I don't think I ever gave it up. I don't think I wanted to keep it to myself. I just don't ever felt like I wanted to give it up. And I don't think that I said anything really until I left for the first time with my mom to go back for a checkup for her. That's when I think I started telling my friends, oh yeah, I'm going to Louisiana with my mom. She's going to go check up. She was really sick when I was younger. So she has to go get checkups every six months. When does that, so we're, we're fourth, so fifth grade. So when you get to fifth grade, this is when you turn 11. 11. So I think it was either fifth or sixth grade I started. It may have even been later. So somewhere between fifth and seventh grade, we'll say, is when I started going with my mom. And that's most likely when I told friends, because like, well, where are you going? It's the middle of the school year. What do you mean? You know, like Christmas was a month ago. Why are you taking another vacation? Would you, uh, who, would, who would you say, you have your friends in the middle, when do you start making long-lasting friendships? What age is that? When does that happen? Does that sixth, happen? In sixth grade. Sixth grade? Before sixth we go to grade. sixth grade, let's end, let's end elementary school. Okay. So, so what would you say? Did you have like a fifth grade graduation or was it just like, F it? Because when I met you guys, everyone talked about the West Side and the East Side elementary schools, and I was like, I wasn't here for this gang war. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't... We, so we didn't have a graduation. Elementary school oh. actually on the east side was from first to sixth grade until they built the middle school. Mm. So for a while, in fact, I don't even think it was until I was in high school that they brought the sixth grade over. I really don't remember, but we never had a graduation from fifth grade because it was like, nope, you're still at the elementary school. You got another year here before you go to the middle school. <laughs> Yeah, I spoke to Jenny. She said, you're the first person she ever met. You guys walked to school together. Yeah, we lived in the same tower. For those of you who aren't military, we lived in towers. And walk us through that. I'll walk us through what a tower is. Sure. Because when we think of towers, you know, some people might think of the project buildings in New York. But you're talking about, yeah, walk us through what a tower is. So a tower on a military base, it's literally a cross. Like, it's shaped like a cross. <laughs> That's the, that's the best way to describe it because you've got your little four little corners where people are in like houses and stuff like that. But at the bottom is our basement. 
That is where we had our grocery carts to unpack things. That's where we could wash our cars because it was just kind of caved in. And there were nine floors. And I believe Jenny lived on the ninth floor. She, she'll kill me. I really don't remember, but she lived above me. I lived on the second floor. Jenny lived on the ninth floor. And I remember, you know, because I lived so close, I could just take the stairs up from the basement to the first floor to the second floor. Um, but those elevators, God, if one of those elevators were out and you had to carry shit up some stairs, I was like, oh, no, we just gonna have to wait. <laughs> <laughs> don't have to wait. I hated that. And so our trick was to go to the first floor, so we only had to go up one flight of stairs. And so if we needed, if we had to drop our groceries, my mom would say, okay, I'm going to go to the first floor, go downstairs to the basement, come back up in the elevator, bring the car, and we're going to go. And then you can like start packing stuff up and taking it upstairs or whatever. So um, that was our little trick. But the way that the towers were set up, there was usually, they're like in little blocks. You have like three different blocks. So I lived in 1563, but then there was a 1562 and a 1561. Each of those houses, each of those towers were for, I think, families of like three or less, if I'm not mistaken. Oh. And yeah, it was, I mean, it was small. It was like a rinky-dink apartment. I think of all the stuff that we have in this house now, in my dad's house now, and I'm like, how the hell did we fit all of this in Japan? Ain't no way we fit all of this in Japan. Um, but the towers were for, like I said, three families of three or less. Um, they really weren't for officers. Officers had their own housing on the north side because, you know, they were real fancy. Um, but the cool thing about the towers That's right. was if you got a really good view, you could see the flight line. So that means that you could see the planes coming in. That means you could see the gorgeous view of Mount Fuji from your freaking balcony, which I thought was the coolest thing. But unfortunately, I did not have that view. I had the view of the parking lot on the opposite side. <laughs> so I got to see the farm and smell all the manure because, you know, they have the, the base. We're on base in Japan, and so you have it all cro all crossed off. And so, like, you know, I'm walking in school, and there's the farm. They're just putting down manure for their stuff. Great. Cool. <laughs> So we end, we end fifth grade. So then we start getting into middle school. Middle school, I think it was, I met you when I was in eighth grade. You were in seventh grade. Uh-huh. And I remember, this is my memory of you. I remember you beaming a football like 30 yards. And I was like, why the freak is she a cheerleader when she can beam at this ball? <laughs> I, okay. So at this point, I have my, I, at this point, I've made my best friend. Her name is Brenda. Brenda Knobloch. She's now Brenda Cisco and has a husband and a kid. They live overseas in Germany. And at this point in middle school, so I really wanted to be like the rest of my girlfriends. I was overweight. I wore guy clothes because I couldn't find anything to fit me, you know, when I think back. And I think I wanted so badly to be like my girlfriends. I wanted guys to start liking me. So I'm like, I'm going to be a cheerleader, although I love sports. Like, I loved playing sports. I loved volleyball. I loved basketball. I didn't really love basketball. I loved <laughs> softball. Um, I played basketball just because I feel like my parents pushed me into playing basketball. But, I mean, I loved those things. And I even played flag football for a little bit. But I think, like I said, I just wanted so badly to be like the rest of my girlfriends and like doing girly things that I wanted. I did cheerleading instead. The coach's name was Miss Nancy, and she goes, she can yes. play with us, but she chooses not to play with us because 
she can't stand you guys. And I was like, what? That's what she, that's what she said. Cause I remember you beamed that ball. I was like, she just loved it. I don't know if it was cause I couldn't stand you guys. I mean, I was probably getting made fun of. I really wouldn't be surprised. And so I was probably getting made fun of by a few people and I just didn't like it. Cause that no, was she, like. She was, she was explaining to us that she was, she didn't say toxic, but at the time she's like, you know, no girl probably wants to be on this bus with a whole bunch of stinking boys all the time. That's probably why they, and I was like, how is she like, oh my God, Miss how is she in charge of saying this stuff? <laughs> I know, that's, that's like the first glimpse of like, oh, dang, they're like some adults who are really going to lay into us. Okay, this is welcome to middle school. <laughs> you were, did your, did your height play anything? Was it like self-conscious being so tall? Oh, yeah. I was the tallest person in my class through elementary school. It wasn't until middle school that, you know, guys were finally taller, taller than me. So um, on top of being like five, eight, five, seven, yeah, I think it was like five, seven, probably by the time I got to like middle school, you know, and I'm just like, well, my friends are so tiny and I'm this <laughs> holy of a giant, like, you know, like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Tall girls are like that. They say that, but then when they get older, they realize that a lot of dudes are into tall chicks. Like everybody loves tall girls. I mean, some do, some don't. I can tell you this right now, though. I have no problem wearing heels now. I used to be very self-conscious, like, oh, I don't want to be taller than you. Now I'm like, give me those heels. I'm about to be 6'3 for the night. Sorry. How tall are you? 5'10. 5'10. My lady is 5'9. And I tell her to wear heels all the time. So I was like, no, put them up there. And we hold hands. We look like Bubbles and Michael Jackson walking around New York City. I mean, I don't mind it. And I love it. I'm gonna put those heels on. I talked to a chick in college. I was six foot five. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the guys who like love it, own it. And I think that's great. I think that's fantastic. Um, because I, I was so tall. Yeah. When you're around a tall chick, especially, you know, average height, but when you put your hand, I like being around tall girls because when you put your hands on your hip, you kind of look like a traditional Mexican couple. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And it's so funny because when, you know, I I started seeing like my height playing a role. And then as I got older, you know, we're talking about dating. My friends were like, dude, you can date a Mexican dude. He ain't going to care what your height is. I can tell you that. <laughs> they don't care at all. That's what like. And my boy's like, dude, she's so freaking tall. You love her? I said, F yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, well, what's wrong with that? Look at those long ass legs. My, I got three feet of leg. But now you're not even that tall. Thinking about it, I'm not it. even. I'm telling you, I am I'm all legs. Tall. My torso's like this. <laughs> I got like, I'm like, and I got these lanky ass arms, and I'm like, cool. Awesome. Yeah, that's what I remember. <laughs> you were very athletic. You're very athletic, and I remember I was like, you're like, what's up, money? And I was like, man, these people are so receptive to just fake names. They'll let you be anybody. They, we, yeah, we really were. We were all about the nicknames in middle school. Um, and that carried over into high school for sure. Uh, Cause you know, when we're playing sports and especially when they're giving us like memorabilia and buying us t-shirts and stuff like, what do you want on your t-shirt? You give them your nickname. You don't give them your name. You give them your nickname, you know? I ran into Spencer. I ran into Spencer in Germany no way. and I didn't know what he looked like because he got tall. And this, <laughs> this kid's walking up with me with a goatee and he's like, money, 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 money. And you're just like, I was like, who the freak is this guy? He's like, what up, man? And I was just like, man, who's this little Chris Tucker? Who's Chris Tucker? And then when I saw his face, I was like, oh, freak, Spencer. I had to look into his eyes. And I was like, freak. I was like, who? 
But when I run into people, like when people are out in the streets with me and I bump into random people, like, what's up, Money Water? Uh-huh. People are like, why are they calling you? I was like, oh, freak, I forgot. Yeah, yeah, that's my. That yeah, was cool. that was our, that was your middle school, high school nickname. <laughs> so now we get into middle school. Middle school is when you start making these everlasting friendships. What mm-hmm. is that like? Do you, I've started to notice, I realized that we had a lot of weird teachers. I remember a dude that had thumbs as toes. Who was this? I don't know if I had him. No, it was Marty's husband. It was Marty's Marty. husband. I remember Marty. God, who was Marty? Marty had a husband, and I remember he took out his thumbs, and he goes, my thumbs are toes. And I said, so do you use a toenail clipper to... <laughs> Man, we got bold in middle school with saying stuff to teachers and pulling pranks and things like that. It's crazy. I knew how bad the pranks were because Mr. Oliver was the only person I knew that took it, like, love hitting people with dodgeballs. I was like, man, he was beaming the piss out of people. He was so weird, but so chill. You're just like, do you ever get angry? Like, I don't. When we played dodgeball, he did it. When we started playing <laughs> dodgeball versus teachers, he was hitting people in the head. I was like, oh, freak. I was like, he's tired of this algebra class. <laughs> he did the same with volleyball because he was uh, JV volleyball. Uh, in high school for a while and so he did the same with baby Oliver. I was like oh there it is there's there's the anger okay <laughs> yeah, I remember one time he said he said we we know why you're freaking here I know you're here if you're going to support them support them just not look at the small shorts and we're like oh great oh I was like whoa <laughs> we're like whoa this guy just yelled at us <laughs> someone he would never think would yell at you and you're just like mm, okay that's the thing got it yeah, whoever's a middle school teacher, you got to have a lot of patience to be around kids, especially when they get into their hormones because they don't know how to express it. They don't. And I just, I mean, my, I think about the teachers in middle school. Like I remember Mr. Hansen, you know, wrestling coach, art teacher, did not like him at all. <laughs> like did not, could not care for him no matter what. I remember, <laughs> I think it was Amponine. I think that's how you said his last name, Coach, coach. A. Oh my God, he was very intimidating, very much so. I have a story about, about uh, uh, what's the art teacher's Hansen? name? Hanson. So Hanson, we're the reason why he stopped wrestling. We're the oh reason God, what did y'all do? Wrestling. It wasn't us. Hanson could have lost his job, man. He could have been fired for real. What happened was, what happened was, uh, you know, we all love kids. So Hanson was teaching a wrestling move and he had Ruben in a head and arm. He was trying to show Ruben. Yeah. And, uh, Mike Lad and everybody, we kept like slapping Ruben's butt and Ruben kept going, ah, ah. So, so, so Hanson was very homophobic at the time, right? So he turns around and he open hands, smacks Ruben in the face, like bow, right? Bow. So kids comes and he's all like, all right, Hanson, you got to go. So Hanson is trying to make sure we get all our stories straight because, you know, Ruben might be his parents. So he's talking to us and he sits us down. And he goes like, you guys saw what happened, right? And Joe goes, Joe and Gary goes, we just saw a white man brutally slap the black guy. <laughs> That's what I just saw. <laughs> it had to be ghost face by then. Like I can just, I can just imagine him just going wider than what he already was. He was, like, he was, he thought his job was gone. I mean, he never looked at these like little black kids. We didn't care, but we were just like, he's like trying to apologize to Ruben. I think he was like giving him food and stuff like that. And he kept trying to talk to us. And Joe goes, we just know that you beat a black kid. That's what we know. 
And uh, I remember you came and talked, Jerry, you saw it, right? I saw that I don't feel safe here. I know that. I know I don't feel safe with you here. And kids go so bad about pulling those kind of jokes. Because I feel like the teachers just took it. They just took it to seriousness. They're just like, okay, I need to be in my P's and Q's going forward. Okay. Kids said, Hanson, you got to go, man. You're pushing kids. You're not normal. It's time for you to go. And that was the reason why he stopped. That was the reason why he stopped. Oh, man, I could totally see that. Oh, I could man. totally see that. He tried to, to, to corner Mike Ladd. And, you know, Mike Ladd had a real deep voice. He's a, look, man, all I know is you're over here knocking kids out. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. The funny thing is I would, I would have never heard this unless you told me. Because I'm this good girl in school. I don't pay attention to anything. I can go to school and go home. And, like, I'm finding out all these years later, like, damn, people did that? Had a, it was like a pack. Yeah, I was like missing a, out. A packed in wrestling. I think I said you guys would like to. I, I think now. I think now, as an adult, um, I tell people I was like I was never intimidated of like pretty or smart people because I was like all my friends were super smart. I was like these are the yeah. smartest people I ever met. I was like these chicks have yeah. got the highest grades in the school. <laughs> the highest grades in the school, and they're still down to earth. Exactly. Exactly. So wait, so middle school. So this is when you meet. So who's the who's the lifelong friend that you meet in middle school? Who's that one? Who's so the I, so I actually met Brenda and Jenny in elementary school. Brenda and Jenny. So we okay. stayed friends. We're still friends to this day. Brenda and I have been best friends for over twenty years. Dang. Um, we met up in Florida for her kid's birthday actually before coronavirus hit and everything. Um, they came in from Germany, and you know we all met in Florida with the family, and we spent. Disney, it was Disney and Universe Studios for like three days straight. Um, yeah, so What's it was really good to see her. Oh, ooh, man. Um, I was really excited for Tower of Terror. I was, it was, the funny thing is we get on this ride and it's like a combination of me laughing and screaming. Like, I don't know whether to, I'm like laughing, but I'm also like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And poor Brenda is terrified, like trying to get her on like roller coasters and things that are free falling. She's like, you're gonna hold my hand right. I was like, yeah, yeah, I got you, but I'm just as terrified. I'm just as terrified as she is. And so the Tower of Terror was definitely like my number, like I really wanted to do that one. And then at Disneyland, they, Space Mountain change. Cause I get on this little rinky dink grind. I was like, oh my God, this, this is a little faster. And it's a little <laughs> Like, I don't know how to feel about this. You can't hold your hands up either. You get those wires. Oh, no. and I was always scared to do that to begin with because it was so dark and I was so tall. I'm like, the next thing I know, I might get my hand chopped off. Like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> uh, yeah, at this point, um, I'm best friends with Brenda, Jenny, but I hang out with Jenny still. Jenny and Desiree get really close, so they're best friends. And then... Um, who else was I really good friends with at this time? Courtney Mullins. Uh, we had been friends since elementary school as well. So I would say for the most part, by the time I got to middle school, some of my elementary friends, elementary school friends were still there because I don't think they left until like freshman or sophomore year. Mm. So most of my good friends had already been made in like fifth or sixth grade. So what was, so we leave middle school. Was it hard? Was school ever hard for you or was it easy? Um, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was easy. I, I would say math came easier for me. 
but like reading, not reading, writing. I wasn't the greatest at writing and luckily my mother being the educator in English literature person that she was helped me with my writing. But I wouldn't say that school was easy for me. I just think that the pressure that I got from my parents, particularly my mom wanting me to keep my grades up, I think it just kind of put me into this bubble of, I gotta study, I gotta study, I gotta study, I gotta, I gotta get A's, I gotta get A's, I gotta get A's. So I think I just got good at doing school. Mm. I just, I, I got really good young, how to study and how to get things done that I just, that school just was, it was natural for me. You learned the system. I learned the system very fast. <laughs> so what's so, so this is, you're going through middle school. This is when your friends start to know about your mother. Do you start sharing more about your mother or? I would say yes and no. I think I share more about where I'm going with her. Okay. Um, I don't really go into too much detail about it but I do like let them know like, okay, yeah, my mom had breast cancer when I was young. And so she has to get checkups every year. And no one was like weird about it or anything. They're very supportive. You know, I always, I loved going because I'm like, oh, I can bring something back for like Brenda. I can bring something back for Jenny. Like I was, I always looked at it as like, I'm bringing something back for my friends on this vacation, even though it really wasn't a vacation because it was my mom having doctor's appointments and me sitting in the doctor's office waiting for her like that was the gist of it, but. But those are bonding moments with your mother though, right? That's super bonding moments, because I love the way she had them set up. I hated getting up early in the morning for her appointments, hated it. But she did it that way, so she and I had the rest of the day to do things. So she, when, at this point, she's going to New Orleans for her checkups. So we'd go to Baton Rouge, and actually, no, I think at this point we were flying into New Orleans. And we would stay in New Orleans. I remember it was a Holiday Inn and it had a, I think it was either a clarinet or a saxophone mm -hmm. painted on the side of it. And I thought it was the coolest thing. But these were great bonding moments for us because we'd get done at the doctor's appointment and we might go to the French Quarter. We might go to the Riverwalk. We might take a trip down to the mall, the Esplanade Mall or something like that. So we had a lot of different we had more time together as mother and daughter, and that's how we grew so close. I looked forward to these trips with my mom. I looked forward to traveling with her. She was my travel partner. I was hers. Traveling. She used to tell me, traveling with you is so easy. Because, I, mean, I, I, I mean, I knew what to do at this point. We'd been doing it so often that I knew what needed to be done. I knew what I needed to bring. Um, so these were definitely great bonding moments with me and my mom. How was your mother at sporting events? super supportive um supportive like not yelling or supportive of just a quiet supportive or just being there just being mm -hmm. there for me and being at all of my games she always made sure she was at all of my games um she took me to all my practices until i didn't need to be taken anymore and i was old enough to drive but she would take me and pick me up all the time uh at one point in high school actually she surprised me she surprised me a couple of times so for my 15th birthday i believe she had talked to some of my friends and they had all on my birthday because we were traveling for the weekend so she didn't come. But they had all signed like a birthday card for me that I didn't know about, but my mom had like, I think kind of initiated it. And so they had this for me on my birthday. And then she surprised me again my, I think it was junior or senior year, where we needed a chaperone for one of our trips. And I think we were going to Sasebo. I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was basketball season. And, you know, I'm sitting there like wondering like, well, who's going to be our chaperone? And my mom and I start talking and she tells, and she just kind of drops it on me. She's like, yeah, I'm, 
I'm going with you this weekend. I was like, what? What do you mean you're going with us this weekend? So it was just very cool. I, I could tell how she knew that it wasn't going to be much longer before I was going off to college. So whatever mm-hmm. chance she could get to be with me, to be with her only daughter, she was taking it. And I loved that so much. I never was someone who is, I never really got embarrassed by my mom being around. Like she I just never, every, she was my friend. Everyone loved her. I didn't have any in front of my friends or giving her big hugs. I never had an issue like that ever. Well, how did she talk to you about your adolescence, about like puberty? What did she say? Did she give you the, did she give you the boy talk or did your dad give you the boy talk? No, nah, she definitely gave me the boy talk. Um, what was your dad's version of the boy talk? I don't even know if he gave me one. Honestly, <laughs> I think it just came straight from my mom. I think the, I think by the time I was, I think, yeah, it was college probably by the time my dad started talking to me, but like, you know, guys only want one thing, right? It's like, (laughs) (laughs) so of course I'm engraving it in my head, like, okay, they only want me for my body, not anything else. And I swear like that definitely scarred me for a while. But um, yeah, at this point, my mom had given me the talk and I was just, I was a horrible flirter. I was horrible at flirting. I didn't know how to flirt to save my damn life. But I was friends with like mainly guys. And of course I had my close girlfriends, but like I had my guy friends who were in like my classes with me, my AP classes or whatever. And so I was really close to them, but it was never like, oh, that's who I, I want to date. I was just like guys that I did end up liking in high school did not want to date me. They ended up dating someone else. Although it was very evident that I liked them. Because, you know, in high school, word gets around real quick. And so I was just like, well, they know I like him, but nothing's happening. Okay, cool. Great. <laughs> I know, I'm so, I was so awkward. Like, I really was. <laughs> I think sometimes when you, when, you look, when you look back on it, it was, uh, I think we, we talk about this now, that it was a lot of guys just actively uh, setting parameters on women on purpose to be all like, nah, they're too good. Y'all need to, y'all need to fall back. You need to relax with that. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't even know it was that, honestly. I think, I, re, I just remember, like, dating for me was non-existent. Like, I didn't date until college. Like, it was non-existent really? growing up. Yeah, I did not date. No oh, prom, actually, no like, anything? I had, no, wait, say that again? You didn't go to prom, no nothing, no date? No, I went to prom, but I didn't have a date. Like, I didn't have a date for homecoming or prom. I didn't have a date for prom until my senior year. And this guy was two years younger than me. Oh. just moved to, to Japan and then find out years later like a couple years later that he's gay so I'm like <laughs> cool <laughs> you know so I'm like that doesn't even count as a relationship in my book but you know I won't say that about him because he was really sweet but yeah dating was non-existent and I think too I was very boy crazy and my mom knew that and she it's not that she didn't want me to date she just never really talked to me much about dating. It was like, well, focus on school. Don't let your grades mm-hmm. drop. And so I always felt like I couldn't date and still be successful at school. I didn't know how to balance both. And so I just became friends with the guys. And like, I was a cool girl. I was a relaxed girl and everything like that. But deep down, I really wanted to be the girl that the guy wanted to go after. The guys were going after my friends for years. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's how I remember growing up. You know, and then it wasn't really until college that 
Oh, well, back that up. Back that up. Before college, how does as a as a as a young woman developing now? Did you always wonder like what's like what's up? Like what? Oh, always. I always wondered. I had sexuality questions. Like maybe I'm maybe I'm supposed to be with a woman. Am I am I a lesbian? Is that is that what's going on here? Like what's what's up? Like I always I always had questions about it because I'm like I don't get it. Like I really just don't get it. Um, and so that was a really hard thing for me to go through growing up because I would always like like a guy and I might tell them that I like them and then they don't like me back but they like my friend and they're not interested in me and it was just very hard for me to like kind of balance like like to take that rejection so to speak. Was that, was yeah. that work of yourself were you self-conscious a little bit like were you wondering like man what? I was self-conscious for years even through college and I would say even until like mid-20s ish I was very very self-conscious about dating did you ever like notice that there just wasn't that many that it wasn't that maybe it wasn't you it was not a lot of options out there? I think I tried to tell myself <laughs> I think I tried to tell, tell myself like mm, just some pickings, some pickings. It's fine. It's it's not a big deal because you know at this when point comes to America it's just it's nothing but a flood zone. It's like oh free, oh this exactly one? like you get you get states and it's like because I it's not that I wasn't getting paid attention to. Right. It really wasn't. By the time my mom, like, when my mom and I were coming here for the summers, you know, and I'm 16, 17 years old, guys were looking at me. Guys were trying to talk to me. And of course, I'm shy, like, oh my God, like, what? <laughs> Why are you talking to me? <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I was very self-conscious about that. And even the guy I'm dating now even will tell you that I'm a little self-conscious about, like, that, about dating and mm. all that stuff. We're gonna get to the. We're gonna get to him. We're gonna get yeah. to him. Okay, so <laughs> you get to high school, right? You're in high school. You're a, you're a three sport athlete. Yeah. I remember. I like going to softball games. I love that sound. That ball. Like, ping. I know. Ping. Loved him. Oh, ball to bat. That's my favorite thing. I was like, man, these are the most athletic people. Love so, it. But what's it like? What's it like? Because now your friends are starting to rotate out of your life because you are a lifelong <laughs> Yakota person. I am the welcoming, I was the welcoming committee on your Oh, you were. I was basically the welcoming committee and as well as the sayonara committee. Like I was both, you know. At this point though, the friendships were much more solidified in high school, so. Who was these high school friends? Um, freshman year, I think, so Brenda and I were still good friends in freshman year. Same with Courtney, same with Jenny, same with Desiree. Um, sophomore year, I started, I think, making a little bit more of my friends. So Patrick Comenton, Peter, Peter Weaver, Sean Martell, like I started making more friends. And we were also like some of these people I was taking, um, you know, advanced courses with. So I was staying in contact with a lot of these people. And honestly, a lot of the people that came in freshman year didn't leave till senior year. So these were people that I was like going to be friends with all the way to the end and of course you know we wanted to stay in contact afterwards and we did for the most part but I didn't feel as I didn't feel as sad when people left mm. especially if I knew how important the friendships were and we like made an effort to stay in contact I mean Brenda ended up moving to Florida she was an hour away from my family in Florida so I got to see Brenda often same thing with Jenny. Jenny was moving to New Mexico. She stayed in New Mexico for college. I went to school in California. I drove through New Mexico. To get uh -huh. 
Yeah, so we drove from Texas to California, my dad and I, so I got to see Jenny every time I was going back and forth. Um, so it was these little things where friendships weren't as, I didn't feel like friendships ended, let mm. me put it that way. You know, in elementary, middle school, you're like, all right, yeah, I'm probably not gonna see you again. Yeah, that's fine. But in high school, it was different because it's like, man, we we've been friends since X amount of years or we graduated together. And I think making an effort to keep in contact, especially with the people that I were very, I was very fond of, mm-hmm. it was much easier than when I was growing up, when I was younger. So when, well, so as high school goes on, how does dad's relationship go? Does he get more closer to you or is it still like he's? It's so distant. Um, and I hate. Do you so, think she had a boy? Oh yeah, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I absolutely think he wished that he had a boy, um, which is weird because he had a, he has a son, you know. Like, but I do sometimes. I did sometimes think that. I did sometimes think, yeah, my dad really wanted a boy because he really wanted someone to bond over with sports. I think. He and would come really to the football wanted, games, though. What? He would come to the football oh, game. Yeah. He loved because he used to coach football. Dap, yeah, he used to dap us all up and stuff like yeah, that. Oh, he yeah, yeah, I remember. Football for the young airmen and stuff, the Yakota Raiders, I think the name was. So, you know, when he was there before I was born, he was coaching for them and stuff like that. So, that was his thing. Same thing with basketball. But it really, it was in high school. And I blame, I blame myself for this. But I also think, like, at this point, my mom and I were so close that I think she kind of started leaning on me a bit too much about whatever issues she had with my dad. And I think that I let that bother me versus kind of having a mindset of my own, like, well, mom, you and dad need to work that out. He's still my dad. It's not that I didn't think that he wasn't my dad. It's just, I didn't go to my dad for a lot of things. You know, I just, I went to my mom for everything. And so in high school, we really weren't communicative. And um, another thing too, my dad was a lifelong smoker and he used to smoke in the house. My mom and I hated that so much because you're in this tiny little apartment. Like cigarette smoke or? Cigarette smoke. Cigarette smoke. And and I think I was either, it was eighth or ninth grade, one of the years, my mom finally said, you got to go out on the balcony to smoke. You cannot smoke in this house anymore. Because at this point, he had been smoking in the house from the time I was young all the way until like I was adolescent, young teens kind of thing. So there were a lot of things where there there was a lot of tension between my parents. And I think I got caught in the middle of it because I was my mom's person, but then my dad didn't really have a person to talk to, mm-hmm. you know, because I was my mom's person. And I felt like I had to be loyal to like, oh, my mom needs me. I need to be with my mom because that's kind of my personality. I'm a very big people pleaser. Very big. <laughs> well, did he ever, did he ever have those moments where he just sat down and like just talked to you? Do you ever have those moments of, do you remember that in high school? Just you and him just talking or just watching a movie together or something or he had his movies um i'd say the holidays were probably the biggest times honestly my dad did a lot of masonic stuff when i was in high school and and with with his friends there and i think now i know why you know i think he felt very much alone in a house of two women essentially you know um and so i really only talked to my dad from time to time and at this point, too, I was coming home late. I might not get home till 10 o'clock from a game or something if we're going to another base. Mm-hmm. So I really wasn't at home as often to really talk to my dad. 
but then I also wasn't making an effort. He would come to my games, but he would always leave before I had a chance to like say hi or anything to him or like go talk to him. So my dad and I really did not have the greatest relationship when I was in high school. Okay. So when do you, so when do you start, so when do you start picking a college? When does that happen? Who talks to you? Like what colleges did you apply for? Which one did you get into? Yeah, my mom did all that. My mom was, again, the educator, educator like, all right, yeah. we got to start picking some colleges because my mom actually, so my mom got an undergrad and then she got her master's. My dad did some college and then went to the Air Force. So his career was in the Air Force. He didn't do college. But my mom, and I believe it's just because if you think about like the stereotype of African-American in education, it's not the greatest stereotype, I don't wanna say stereotype, but the statistics of African-Americans getting college degrees is not great. It's right. not, yeah. you know? And so she made sure like I was like, at this point, by the time I got to high school, I was going to different colleges for camps. Mm -hmm. So I went to UCLA for a volleyball camp. I went to LSU for a camp. I went to NC State for like a 4-H camp. So my mom was putting me in camps every single year, going to visit colleges, I'd say sophomore, junior, junior years when we really started applying. Um, I really wanted to go to school in California. So we're looking at like UCLA, we're looking at USC. Um, I really actually didn't hear about Pepperdine, which is a school I ended up going to until, God, I think summer of my senior year. Pepperdine, like, I don't think where I, is that at? Pepperdine's in Malibu, California. Oh, free. Yeah, Malibu, California. It is a Church of Christ. So it's a Christian-based school. Um, Why did you choose to go to a Christian school? I actually didn't realize it was a Christian school. I chose Pepperdine because of the location. It is a beautiful campus. It is right chose on the, the water. College because of the location. <laughs> it was in California. It was on the water. I'm like, oh my God, this is my school. Like it had the degree I wanted, which was sports medicine. So I decided to apply. Um, but I think that might have been, oh, and I think I applied to a couple of schools here in Texas. I know University of Dallas was the one that I applied to, and um, I got in to all of, well, no, I didn't. I got into Pepperdine. I got in University of Dallas. I did not get into UCLA, from what I remember, and I did not get into USC, which I was fine with. That would have been a really hefty bill, but uh, yeah, junior year is when we started applying, started visiting colleges, and I'm glad my mom put me in those camps because I kind of got to see parts of the U.S. and where I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. And by the time, the, the, the year she introduced me to California, I think I was like 12 or 13. I mean, I fell in love with California. We went to California every single summer. That was our last stop before we came back to Japan. We spent about 10 days in California. And I, I mean, I loved it. And you couldn't take it out of me. I was like, I've got to go to school here. This is where I want to go to school. What's, what's freshman, so who takes you to college? Does everyone pack it up? Everyone kicks that hop? We're all doing it? Or just you and mom, are you go dolo? Yeah, so about that. Um, senior year, mm -hmm. at this point, uh, by the time we're getting to graduation, I've gotten through the entire year. We're at prom. My mom was a chaperone for prom as well. We get back from prom, and this is about two or three weeks before graduation, and my mom gets really sick. Mm. she gets really sick she's in a coma she's in one of the Japanese hospitals 
Wait, and it happened that fast? It goes immediately that fast? Very fast. Uh, they think it was spinal meningitis. Uh, I looked at her, as morbid as this might, might sound, but being a healthcare provider, I was kind of curious. I looked at her death certificate, and it said that she died of sepsis. So at this point, you know, I'm about to graduate from high school. My mom falls sick, and I am just, I mean, I'm devastated mm -hmm. at this point. And I really don't, everything is a blur. I remember from the time she got sick and I remember graduation. I don't remember taking finals. I don't remember doing any of that. Wow. Um, because when she got sick, I knew something was wrong, but she kept telling me, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. Cause she was starting to walk around. Like I remember I was doing a project with a, with a classmate of mine. It was a final project. And she was walking around the house with a cane. And I just thought it was weird. I was like, mom, what's going on? Like we took her to the hospital. The hospital said it was nothing, that she was okay. They just gave her some medicine. And then just like that, it's like this infection just went all throughout her body. And she, it was very stroke-like. She was slurring her words. Her eyes were very glossy. You know, we called EMS. And then the next thing I know, my dad's calling me the next morning saying, you know, they had to take her out to touch Kawa. She's in a coma right now. And that's the end of that's my senior year my senior year ended in a completely different image than what i thought it would be how old is she she's 60 what is she Six, she was 63 at this time yeah 63 so she was still pretty young you know she was still pretty young still had some life left in her um but she stays sick she doesn't i don't she doesn't come to my graduation she stays sick all summer I start college. She's still sick. At this point, we no, had to meet her back. How, how are, are you going back and forth? Are you drawing no, back? We, so we stayed in Japan until July and we had to move. So I think what was so devastating about it was not just because my mom was so sick. I knew that this was the end of my life in Japan. I was never coming back. Wow. I was never like my mom and I had talked about, okay, on the summer times, if you want to come back to Japan, like, my mom had plans to keep working until about my sophomore year. So if I still wanted to come home and be in Japan and have some summers in Japan or whatever, I still had a place to come. And I'm like, I don't get any of that anymore. I don't get to spend time with my mother. I don't get to come back to Japan. My life in Japan stopped at graduation. And so that was May, she got sick, graduated in June. End of July, we finally get a medevac we're finally able to medevac her out it took us that long to get someone to get her overseas back to the states and we don't even make it to the states first we go to okinawa first mm. and we're in okinawa for like god we're in okinawa for a while probably like two or three weeks probably like two and then we get Can't to she talk at all she's still in the coma she can't move she's in the coma, she's in the, coma the entire time entire mm. time um by the time we get to Texas, we had stopped in Hawaii at Tripler or Hickam. I'm sorry, we stopped at Hickam. Mm -hmm. We had stopped at Travis Air Force Base and we finally got her to Houston. And that was the end of July. So from the time she got sick, mid-May of 07, to the time we landed in Houston, July, the end of July, you know, that's a long time to get someone medevaced over. Like that's a really long time. And at this point, you know, I'm kind of numb. I am in a very 
depressed state. Like I didn't want to go to college at all, but my godmother, also an educator, pulled some strings and got me into the University of Houston. I don't know what she did, but she pulled some strings and she's like, no, you were going to college. And with me, I wasn't a, re I wasn't a rebel. I, I did everything by the book growing up, you know? And so to be in this position, I'm thinking like, well, why me? Like my mom already got sick. At this point, I was also thinking, why wasn't that my dad? My dad was a smoker. My dad was the one who wasn't healthy. My mom was healthy at this point. So of course, in my head, I'm like going through all these scenarios of like, why, 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 why God? God and I are not on great terms at this point. I don't have any faith. And I just, you know, because I'm going and I'm thinking like, she's going to get better. She's going to get better. She's going to get better. And I'm trying to keep it positive. But that positivity just slowly starts to go down to the point where I'm just like, I don't know what to feel anymore. So by the time we got to Houston, we had got her situated at a hospital about five minute drive from the University of Houston. So it was very easy for me to go check on her. But at this point, my dad was living in Beaumont, which is about 90 miles from Houston. So I could check on her more often than he could check on her. And I did it a lot, actually. And I, I think I kind of did it out of fear that I didn't want to miss anything. Mm -hmm. And I did it out of obligation. I was like, I'm her daughter. I need to make sure my mom's okay. I want her to know that I'm there. But I think at some point I knew, like, I don't think my mom's in there anymore. Were you ever wondering why your dad didn't go down there or do you think he was scared? I think he was scared. Mm -hmm. um, I get a lot of my emotions from my dad. My dad was also a crier. Um, so I think he was very scared. My mom was the love of his life. The mm -hmm. love of his life. And here are two people who are very emotional trying to process their love of their life. At this point, my mother was the love of my life. That was my best friend. And I'm starting college without her. And I'm wondering, is it going to get any better? You know, is it, is she going to be okay? But again, at some point it just clicks and I'm just like, she's not going to get any better. Like this is, this is where it's going to be at. You know, she's going to be in this state because the doctors started talking to us about well, she makes it out of this. There could be neurological damage, which means she could need around-the-clock care. My dad, once we got the house, was talking about opening certain areas of the house up for her, so it was really easy for her to get around if she ended up in a wheelchair. Like these were some serious instances of what it would be like to be a caregiver that I was experiencing, and I didn't understand that. I didn't, you know. I didn't want to accept it. Let's put it that way. I was like, no, she's going to walk. She's going to walk. She's going to be fine. I remember having dreams about my mother waking up and she and I talking and she being okay. And we talk about, you know, where she's going to go from here. And, but then of course, you know, I wake up and it's all a dream. Mm -hmm. So. Do you, when you're, when you're inside that state of mind, do you, or did you guys grow up religious, religious, or were you like Catholic or Baptist? Yeah, we were Catholic. I was baptized very young as a baby, and then I went through my catechism 15 or 16 years old. And then my mom actually converted as well. My mom was Baptist, I believe, and she converted to Catholicism because my dad was also Catholic. So do you, so when, so what are these, these, so your prayers are probably getting more, are you reading the Bible more, or are you just like F everything, F, F it all? I'm, Oh, I'm doing a lot of F everything. You know, at this point, I'm in my first year of college. I'm going to parties. I'm drinking a little bit more. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
I'm drinking a little bit more. I really was not going to church, even though she was at a Christian based hospital. Mm-hmm. I was not going to church. This is the University of Houston, right? Mm-hmm. So you're underage drinking, you're partying. Yep. <laughs> all of it. Are you blacking out? Like to not remember? Like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm not blacking out at all. Um, you just I no. Say that again? Just lit. You just lit up. Just lit. Just lit. Really happy to have some friends. Oddly enough, a friend, a girl that I had met at one of my camps um, the year before college was going to University of Houston. And I was emailing her back and forth because at this point we weren't Facebook messaging or MySpacing, you were emailing or doing whatever. And so I emailed her, told her I was going to be in Houston because of my mom. Like she had met my mom and everything. And so she was like, yeah, I'm going to be going to University of Houston. So at this point I had a friend at the University of Houston, which was so nice because I'm like, oh my God, I'm not going to be here by myself. Um, so, you know, I'm going out with her. We're partying with her roommates and friends. You know, all of this stuff is just happening. Um, I'm spending money I don't have. <laughs> Like, you know, like, yeah, I got this. I'm 18. It's cool. Whatever. I'm in college. This is what I'm supposed to do. So I'm just, you know, going to frat parties and, yep, drinking up storm. <laughs> do you, when you're inside there, like, do you let them know or no one knows? No one no, knows what's going on. They know. Yeah, everyone knows what's going on. Um, Your college friends do. My college friends do. And a lot of them were, you know, fourth, a lot of them were very supportive. In fact, all of them were very supportive about it. But I still had this shame. I had this shameful feeling of, you know, here I am, this, I might, like my mom is sick, you know, like I am, I don't know how to process that. I don't know how to be myself anymore. Like I'm like, I'm still trying to figure out what's going on with her while I'm also trying to figure out myself. So I didn't really, I kept to myself a lot. I mean, I would study with my friends and we'd go out, but. Did people pick up and know something was wrong? I think one of the girls did mention that if I wanted to talk to her, I could, because she had actually lost her dad when she was younger, but I just, I wasn't receptive. You can ask my, like, my godmother and god sister. I, I mean, I pushed a lot of people away. I did not want to talk to anyone, and I just felt so alone and so angry, and it wasn't at anyone. It wasn't at anyone trying to help me. I think a lot of it was directed towards God. Like, why? Why am I here? Why, why, is, why is it me who's going through this right now? Why did you have to make my mom sick? Do you find it ironic that you and your dad are processing it the same way? Uh, I mean, now that I didn't think about it that way, but yeah, it's, it's funny because, I mean, we definitely push each other away. I tried to talk to him about this a few times, and it was like a freaking pissing competition. Whose emotions were worse than the other's? Like it was, I could never talk to him and him actually sit down and be like, okay, well, let's, let's talk about what's going on. Like, I miss your mom too, but I know I need to be there for you. It was just like, well, I miss her too. I miss her more. I like, it was never a, I needed, I needed my dad. And oddly enough, I find it interesting that I expected that my dad would be there for me when we didn't really have a relationship to begin with. Mm-hmm. you know i now that i look at it i'm like well that was of course you know yeah he's your dad he should do that but i can't put that expectation if i also wasn't being receptive to him when i was growing up either you know now that i look at it from the age that i am 
You guys seem like the same person. You guys were going through the same emotions. Same exact emotions. Um, the difference was I was surrounded, I think, by a lot more people. And I could call more people. Like at this point, I could call my aunts. You know, I was calling my aunts a lot. Um, and my dad didn't have his sounding board anymore. My mom was his life. Mm-hmm. So he you know, he's living here in Beaumont and, you know, these are family members he hasn't seen in probably years, you know? And so for him, it's kind of like, he's doesn't know how to process it either because he has a a wife who's sick and in the hospital that he can't talk to. And then he has a daughter who is at a rebellious stage in her life, kind of late in life, but doesn't want to be around him. Does he ever go to the hospital by himself? Do you know? Do you ever think he goes there by himself or he doesn't? Uh, I think he did a few times and a couple times we crossed paths. Um, you know, like I would go after some of my classes. I'd, I'd catch the bus down and I'd go after some of my classes and, you know, he'd be there. And he might have been there for hours beforehand and he was always sitting there by my mom's side. Not saying nothing not saying anything, you know, and every now and then he and I would talk and I think I just didn't know what to say to him because I was so angry because at this point I really was just like, you're, I'm thinking about my dad is the one who's unhealthy. My dad is the one who smokes, not my mom. My mom walks every day. She eats healthy. She doesn't smoke. She doesn't drink. She doesn't do any of that. And yet my mom's the one that got sick, you know? So again, I'm trying to process and kind of projecting this anger that I have towards someone who has no control over the situation. Right. Do you find it, do you ever think that your mother, she knew her day, that's why she's making so many memories with you? Probably. Um, I think my mother, my mother knew how blessed she was to have a healthy child at 45. Mm and to still be alive after her stint with breast cancer. And so, and I think I knew subconsciously too that I could be in my 20s and in my 30s and my mom not be here. Wow. Because I, I, I mean, I, at this point, you know, I'm doing the calculations, I'm like, Man, my mom's gonna be in her 70s. She'd be in her 70s by the time I'm in my 20s, which means she might not be there for a wedding. She might not be there for her grandkids. Like I kind of already knew this as well, but I think my mom, especially after she had the breast cancer, really started to make sure that she was capturing whatever moment that she could. So she really had a new lease on life, pretty much. She did. She whatever trip we could take, we would. So for some holidays, we'd go to Guam. Or I think we went to China one year. We went to Singapore one year. So my mom was just, all right, let's go. Let's do it. Let's go have some fun. Yeah, I was like, I'm cool. I'm staying home. He went on some of the trips. Like, he went to Guam with us. Um, Singapore was actually like a, it was um, me, my mom, Jenny, and her mom and her brother. So it was just us for Singapore. Um, and then what else? China was just me and my mom. This was like, this was one of the last trips my mom and I took together before she got sick was China. And so 
my dad was actually, I think, working more. And so he was working through the year and through the summertime and things like that and not taking a lot of time off from work anymore. Um, but I'd say he maybe came on a handful of trips over the course of my mid-teens, late-teens. I got a question before we get to that one. What are your yep. grandparents like? So the only grandparent I remember meeting is my mom's mom. Um, my dad's parents died when I was a baby. I was like two or three, maybe four years old. My mom's dad died when she was 11. So the only grandparent I ever knew was my grandmother. And my mom, I think, had actually flown her out to Japan when I was born. So um, I remember seeing my grandmother when we'd come to Louisiana and things like that. And she was old school. Um, old school like what? Old school like what? Well, sit down. She had plastic on her couches and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and she had her little moo-moo on and her slippers and her big Coke bottle glasses. I was in her little jerry curl. Mm -hmm. You know, like she was, she was grandma. They called her Ma. Um, but I also think that she might have had a little bit of dementia because there were some instances where my mom and I might come to the States before my dad and my, and my grandmother would talk about having these visions and a lot of them would be like planes crashing or like my dad getting into a serious accident and it would freak me the hell out. And I would be crying and my mom was like, don't tell her that. Don't, don't be saying those things to my daughter. <laughs> like, you know, so I think my grandmother was having some dementia related stuff going on when I was younger, but um, my grandmother was, cause just, she was very sweet. I just think she, she was in her own little world. Let me put it that way. She was in her own little world. And, um, did you ever wonder we, why you only have one grandparent? Did that ever slip your mind? Like I only have one. Um, I don't know if I ever questioned that. I feel like I think at some point I, I must have asked because I had found some photos from like my grandmother's funeral, my mom, my dad's mom. And I like asked about it and they're like, oh, well, she, you were really young when she died, when she passed away. Um, I don't even know if my mother told me until I was like in my teens that her dad had died when she was young mm. or if I heard it from someone I don't really remember, but I you know how our how you talked about parents really don't expect us to question i kind of was already in that mindset very young like respect your authorities like don't question anything and i didn't really question a lot of things and i think a lot of it was out of fear like i didn't want to get yelled at for questioning i didn't want like why are you asking about that that's none of your business like i didn't i didn't want to be yelled at <laughs> so we are we're in we're in houston we're in houston do you yep. ever about California just like I'm glad I'm in Houston so Houston's a different place it's completely different I didn't think I was I hated Texas as soon as we landed it was so hot I didn't want to be in Texas I'm like I don't want to be here I'm supposed to be in California that's so what again 2007 when you were in Texas right 2007 so yep and I the summer and summer of 2007 so dead summer of Texas heat 90 plus degree humidity at 100 plus percent Louise. And I'm just like, no, I'm not doing this. I don't want to be here. Like, I just didn't want to be here. Um, but I did wonder about California. And I actually ended up calling the school and letting them know that I wasn't coming. 
Because mm. at this point, actually, I had missed the deadline to even put the deposit down before my mom got sick and she found out she was fierce. She was like, well, we're supposed to not deposit in two weeks ago, yada, yada, yada. So it's kind of like a blessing in disguise. Like I didn't send the deposit in because something bigger was going to happen that I needed to be around for and it ended up being my mom being sick or whatever. But um, yeah, I just, I didn't think about California. I really didn't. And then I get a letter in the mail in January of 08 of some, January or February. And it talks about, you know, that there's still time to apply for next year and we'd love for you to resubmit. And I'm like, oh my God, maybe, maybe this is a sign. Maybe I still can go to Pepperdine. Maybe I still can fulfill this dream that my mom and I had of me going to this really prestigious school. So I thought about it and I just said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and apply. I'm going to go ahead and apply. I really didn't want to be at University of Houston anyway. At this point in January of 08, my mom passed in December of 07. So for me, I didn't feel like I needed to be in Texas. So in December, your mother passes away. Who calls you? Were you there or what happened? Hospital calls me. Hospital calls me. It's late. It's like midnight. Hospital calls me. They'd let me know. Um, I call my dad. And at this point, my dad was back in Japan packing out the house. Oh, wow. So that was the worst call I had to make ever. Like, oh my God, I've, I've got to call my dad and tell him that mom's gone. And of course, and he's crying on the phone and we're trying to figure out how to get him back here as fast as we can. Um, and then I go downstairs because at this point we're, so we're also in a, I'm living in a dorm tower. So I go downstairs to my friends who I knew were still up and I like knock on their door and I'm crying and I tell them like, hey, because I my college all my college friends knew all my college friends knew and they were so sweet and they drove me to the hospital they drove with me to the hospital and I just remember them sitting by the door and just letting me cry because I had to go identify the body I had to go and sign paperwork at the hospital at 18 years old and I'm just sitting there in the corner crying like oh my god like I don't want to do anything anymore like I don't I don't understand this and it was, now that I look back on it, I'm really glad that I did reach out for help and I didn't let my friends know because I, I would not have wanted to been there by myself. But I also called my cousin who's living there in Houston and she says, you know what, you can come stay at the house for the night. And so I, don't, I go back to the dorm, pick up some clothes and then I go to my cousin's house. And I just remember laying on the floor crying at this, you know, the futons that you can get in Japan. I was basically on a futon. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like crying and just thinking like, I don't want to wake up tomorrow. Like if, when I wake up tomorrow, that means it's real. That mm. My mom is really gone. And I was just, I mean, I was a mess. I was a mess for a long time. And I think my dad, I, she died on the 2nd of December, which I think might've been a weekend. My dad was back in the States a few days later. So then I had to go back to the hospital because my dad wanted to go to the hospital to see the body, to talk to the facility and things like that. So a second time I'm having to go back and I, and I can't do it. You know, I'm just, I'm kind of like standing in the back and I'm just letting him go. Cause I'm like, I've already seen it. I don't, I don't need to see this again. I don't want to see it again. So I'm just kind of letting him have his moment and grieve and I'm standing in the back. 
What does he say? Does he talk to you at all or is he just quiet? He's very quiet. We're holding hands. You know, he's like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. But we're both just very quiet. Mm. Very, very, very quiet. And, you know, in that moment of him, like, I mean, I'd seen my dad cry before, but I'd never seen him cry like this. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I knew how heartbreaking that this was for the both of us. But I also knew in that moment how much I knew, how, how much my dad really loved my mom. Like my dad loved my mom. There was no doubt about it. Even if I had doubts, it was, they were gone. So the family, so, so how does, how do you guys do it? Do you have the funeral in Texas or do you have it in Louisiana? Like, what do y'all do? Cause she's from. Yeah. So she died in Texas, have the funeral in Louisiana. We wait until after my finals. So I'm calling all of my professors, letting them know. Say that again. You take your finals too? I take some of them, not all of them. Some of them are okay for me waiting until the next term. Some of them are actually, a lot of my professors like, actually, you can just take the grade you have or you can take your final. That was my option. I had pretty much A's in all of my courses except one. And I was like, I'll take, I'll take the grades. And luckily one of my professors, my calc professor, my calculus professor said that I could take the exam when I come back the next term. That way the grade wouldn't stay as is. He just said, I have to turn the grade in as it is now. And essentially you'll fail the final. So your grade will drop. But when you come back in, I'll let you take it. And so I thought that was really nice of him. And I'm like, okay, great. So we wait until, I think we actually wait until my term is done completely. Because I still had stuff to finish up with classes. But we're also making sure that people who are flying in have time to fly in. Mm -hmm. And that was about 10 days, about a week later. So we had the funeral about a week later. And we're driving to Louisiana. Sean Bavette, because he was an immediate family, had to go through the Red Cross. So I'm calling him, setting that up for him to come to the funeral. Brenda, best friend since elementary school, comes in from Florida for me. Um, my godmother comes in. Jenny's mom comes in. So, oh, and then my friend from University of Houston that I knew from that camp came with me with her mom as well. So we did the whole, so we, the thing is, it's always been up the air whether or not my mom had a will. Being the educator that she was, I still to this day think that she had one. We just don't know where it was at because she had, she lived in so many different places. She lived in Louisiana, she lived in Japan, and she lived in California. There's no telling who or where she could have put it in a bank. I didn't know that kind of information and neither did my dad, frankly, but the funeral comes and goes, we do the visitation and, you know, it's funny because the day that we did the funeral, it rains. And to me, I'm just thinking like, this is God crying. (laughs) God is crying right now, you know? And at this point, I'm, I'm relieved everything is over. I'm relieved that all right, you know, the process of, oh, she's not suffering anymore and things like that. You know, we're, we're thinking about all that stuff, but really I'm just like, okay, maybe I won't cry as often anymore. Like, yeah, I'm going to still miss my mom, but maybe I won't cry as often. Maybe things won't hurt as much, but I didn't know the repercussions of losing her that long. I didn't know what they would be. And they were pretty damning. 
I'm being honest. Is it is it pretty like that? Because you're in Texas, or when you go to California, it's still the same thing. It's still the same thing. It was. I couldn't run from it. Let's put it that way. I tried running from pain as much as I could. I did everything to, that I could think of to numb the pain, you know, um, not drugs or alcohol related, but at this point I was feeling very alone. I was feeling unwanted. I was trying so hard to replace that love that my mom had for me that I was looking at it through for guys and through sex. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't unsafe about it. I just didn't need to be going, throwing around my coochie kingdom like that. Let's just put that way. <laughs> like, so you I didn't need to be doing that. You were boomeranging your platypus. I was boomeranging my, when, yes. Whenever I felt the slightest sense of, okay, this is really hard. Like, I'm really emotional. Like, whatever pain I felt, whatever I did not want to deal with, I either numbed it with sex or I numbed it with food. You know, like at this you point, ever, did a guy ever felt? Did you ever feel like you were just using men? Did they ever pick up on that, or you were just they didn't know you? Were no, using? they never did. I always thought it was the other way around. But now that you mention it, it was definitely the other way. Around. It was definitely me. Yeah, it was you. It was definitely me. And the funny thing is, when that finally clicked in my head, what I was doing, I stopped. I was like, oh no. Laura, you've got to deal with whatever it is that you're going through. And mind you, that was not until I was like in my late 20s. So that's from like 18 to like 26, maybe 25, you yeah. know? And so that was a long time because I'd been trying counseling and I just, I didn't want to do it. Nope, it's not working. Nope, it's not working. Like this isn't, this isn't helping me because I did not want to face the fact that I had to move on with my life and that losing my mom was a part of my life, but that didn't define who I was going to become. And I was letting it do that. I was letting those emotions and that lifestyle of downward thinking kind of dictate how I was living my life. And so I was in a, I hate using air quotes, but depressed state when I was really kind of keeping myself there. That was my comfort zone, being sad. Like a purgatory a little bit, you know what I mean? Yeah. Purgatory, self-sabotage. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Did your friends feel this? Did your friend, any of your friends feel like, like, Laura, hey, you're tripping right now? Or did you hide it? My friends it? didn't know about my sexcapades. Hmm. My friends didn't know about any of that. We'll just say um, rounds. We'll just say uh, carousel rides. Say that again? We'll just say carousel rides. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's crazy um, because I noticed I mean, that a lot, of, a lot of women don't know about each other when they're going through it. When they're going through it, some people are internal people and they, you don't even know. And they so, don't. Like, they really didn't know. They know now. Like, I mean, I, I got to the point where I accepted, like, well, this is kind of my past and this is what I was doing. Um, because my two, so Stephanie first and now Stephanie Miller and Brenda, my two best friends. I mean, I was, when I got to the point where I was ready to talk about it, these is who I was talking to I was talking to them about this. I was talking to them about, you know, losing my virginity and having sex and just, you know, doing all of these things, but weren't working. And I kept crying. I was crying on the phone all the time. I'm like, he's never going to call me again. Like, I don't understand why he doesn't love me. And now I'm like, Alora, I know exactly why he doesn't love you and why he didn't want to be around you because 
you were doing it for all of the wrong reasons. All of the wrong reasons. And when I realized that no amount, it was, so let me put it this way, it was a control thing. I wanted so badly to be in control of limiting the amount of pain that came into my life because it was so painful to lose my mom. Hmm. I didn't want to ever feel that again, ever. But no matter what I did, I couldn't control it. I still had pain. If a guy didn't call me back, if I didn't get a second date or a third date or whatever, nothing worked. Nothing worked. Drowning myself in school didn't even work. You know, when I probably should have been letting myself have a little bit more fun in college, college was, college was me. I drowned myself in work so I didn't have to think about the pain. What did your dad do? So my dad was living in Texas at this time. At this point, my dad and I are actually getting along a little better. I realized that distance, we work better when we're distant. Uh -huh. um, so at this point, we're getting along better. But he, I remember when he started trying to date, I was furious. I was like, who are you? Why are you bringing this woman into this house? <laughs> like, what? You, why are you doing that? And like, I was so upset. At 65, he was out there? Um, probably a little bit later, probably a couple of years after that, like, so like 67, 68. And I'm just like, ugh. like, I don't know, like, damn, my dad can date, but I can't date. He's over here bringing other women in that. Like, I was so mad. I'm over here acting like I'm someone. <laughs> so, so when you say, did you have any boyfriends in college or they were just, they were just flings. I had all flings all throughout college. I didn't, honestly, the guy I'm dating now is my first serious relationship. Huh. I did a lot of just like, did a lot of online dating because it's easier. I could, I could, yeah, it was easier and I could hide. I didn't have to put myself out there because I didn't have to really face face to face rejection as if, you know, like over the computer, not hearing back from someone. Okay, big deal. But like face to face rejection, you know. That was something I was like, I know I can't do that. Like I just I couldn't do that. So I did a lot of online dating. Walk us through what's your boyfriend's name? His name is Jonathan. Walk us through Jonathan. How did you guys meet? Um, so Jonathan and I go to the same gym. Oh. And that's in real life. Yes, yes, this was real life. <laughs> we go to the same gym. This was organic. But oddly enough. I had made a post on Instagram because I just, so let me, before I get there, I have a history of binge eating and it was more evident after my fitness competition last year. So I lost 30 pounds. I'm on this restrictive diet and I'm binge eating because I'm like, I, again, it's emotional. It's a very emotional based disorder. And I didn't understand like why I was eating and what I, and what I was doing until really recently, like over probably around the start of COVID because I started like seeing a therapist again and I started kind of talking through all these, all these things and I realized, shit, I'm avoiding emotions. I'm avoiding doing certain things. I'm procrastinating and doing certain work and I do that by scourging for like whatever food I can find in the house. And so I actually made a really big post about that on Instagram. I just kind of came out, so to speak, of like, hey, I have this history of being depressed and being on medication and seeing a therapist and using food. And so I kind of made that post on Instagram. And 
I actually, I forgot that I turned off my notifications on my phone. So I go back a couple of days later and I see all these messages. I was like, holy shit, people responded to that. Fuck. He was one of them. Jonathan was one of them. And he just said something nice like, um, you know, you got this, you can keep going. I was like, oh, thanks. You know, I appreciate you reaching out. Because I like knew him from the gym, but I didn't know him personally. And we just kind of started talking a little bit about, you know, the shutdown. And now that things were being lifted, he was able to go back to the gym. And I told him I was too scared. But if I ended up back at the gym one day, just come say hi. Well, the conversation never stopped. We kept talking on Instagram until finally I decided, okay, it's time to go back to the gym. Like I'm comfortable enough despite COVID to like go back to the gym. And then, yeah, we started talking. We really were, so he and I, our workouts are very much so personalized for us. So I don't do what he does. He doesn't do what I do. And so really, you know, he comes and says, says hi to me. But then at the end of our workout, we're both doing cardio. So we just kind of start talking on the treadmill and stuff and just kind of start getting to know each other. And things just kind of start flowing very naturally. I walk us back, walk us back when he gets your phone number. Walk us through that. What so does... he didn't get my phone number. He uh-huh. took a leap of faith and gave me his phone number. Love that. I love it. He took a huge leap of faith. And I'm just like looking at my phone and I'm like, all right, well, how that's was that, how was that a leap of faith? You know, if we're, if we're talking about animals, right? Let's just say yeah. every female animal puts out a vibe to let the male animal know, hey, I'm ready to be courted. <laughs> but it's only us as humans where the male is like, we got to do everything, you know? So yeah. he, put, he put out his flare gun, you know? Yeah. But how did he get um, the phone number? He just took his, his phone, you took your phone, like, here's my number, use it? No, so at this point, because we kept missing each other, so I wasn't going back to the gym yet. And so I think he actually gave me his number. He gave me his number on Instagram. Mm. And I just, I was just like, because we're still talking on Instagram. I have not been back to the gym in person yet at this point. This was like maybe four or five days after we started talking. And I just texted him. I was like, wow, you really took a leap of faith there, didn't you? He's like, well, I felt like the conversation was going pretty well. So I figured, what did I have to lose? And I'm like, I'll take it. Mm. I'll take it. So he's very confident in who he is. And um, that was one of the things that I think really attracted me to him. Of course, you know, we have the gym in common and things like that, but he, he knows what works for him and he does it. And he's not afraid to say like, hey, yeah, I respect what you're saying or I respect what you're doing. However, this works for me, or I want to do more research into this so I can learn more about it versus just taking your word for it. That's not to say he doesn't trust me. That's just someone who has, he has things that he, that works for him in place. And I like that. Is he older than you? Uh, By like a year, Mm. maybe. Not even a year, like six months, maybe. I don't know. I'm horrible at public math. <laughs> when was the first date at? Did y'all have a date date? We did. We had a date date. Our first date was axe throwing. <laughs> oh, that's your Axe throwing. Yeah, that's my profile picture. Yeah, so we went to Houston. Um, when we both found out that we love sushi, I'm like, oh, I can eat sushi all the time. And he was like, okay, cool. That'll be our first date. 
and he kept talking about like we kept kind of talking but he never really mentioned any more first dates and i'm like so is this date gonna actually happen or not he's like yeah let's do it this weekend what are you what are you doing and i'm like i guess i'm going on a date <laughs> so i we i gave him things to do in houston and oh well, axe throwing sounds cool so i basically booked everything fine believe it or not he's not a planner so I kind of did all the planning, um, but he did drive. What? You said you like control, right? I do like control. <laughs> I really like to be in control. But um, yeah, I did all the planning for the date, the time, and things like that. And we went, we got sushi afterwards, and then we walked around Houston for a little bit. Then, you know, we drove back to Houston, and I really liked having that time to drive and to talk to each other because our really our only time together was talking to each other after the gym. At this point, he was still working full time. My job, I was working as an, on an as needed basis and their uh, patient load was very low in the hospital or in the rehab center. So they didn't really need the extra staff. They just kept their full time on staff. So I was still getting up at my regular time going to the gym because I was trying to keep a routine. But our time together was very short. It was usually like, maybe messing with each other between sets at the gym and talking afterwards before he goes to work. There really wasn't much in there. And then of course we're texting throughout the day. Um, so you know, to be on, in this car with this guy who I'm trying to get to know and he's trying to get to know me, it, it was, re it was re really interesting because I'm like, okay, here is someone who's really taking an interest who I am. Here's someone who is, because at this point, I kind of laid everything out on the table. I had told him that a lot of my dating history is really just flings and very short term. Um, I told him about my mom. At this point, my dad, I'd been taking care of my dad because he got sick in 2015, which we'll go back to. Um, but, you know, here I am talking to this guy and I'm hearing about his history, but I'm also seeing the direction he's moving in and he's moving forward from all of that. He's not kind of wallowing in his past like I was doing. Right. Mm -hmm. Even though I, it was better at this point, you know, I had gotten better at kind of pushing forward and not looking too far back at the past and thinking like, oh my God, like how did I end up here kind of thing. Um, he really opened my eyes to like, oh, okay, I, I can get on board with this. Like this is, someone who is very ambitious and very goal-driven and when he makes time to do something he does it you know like that's the kind of person i want it to be around does his ethnicity play a part into things uh, uh is in regards to what ethnicity do you like do you it's the black dude on your page right that dude no jonathan's white <laughs> Oh, I was, like, Who's this? I was looking at this black dude. I was like, man, this kind so of. So the black dude that you're probably looking at is Adam. That's my oh. PT friend. Well, is yeah, being in Texas, yeah, being in interracial dating. Maybe that's what I was. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, what's that like? Is that um, being interracial dating? What's that like? Uh, so I mean, I really always dated outside, but I never, I never really actually dated dated so let's say i've gone on dates and i've had like my flings and stuff but i've never actually dated dated mm -hmm. and so for me it was really hard at first actually because 
his political views do not match with mine, which oddly enough, I don't really have any, I don't mean left or right. I just, and I honestly don't pay attention to it as much as he does. And I think that really bothered me for the longest time because I was trying to figure out how can someone this nice, this sweet, this generous support someone like that? Like, I don't understand that, you know? And so that really just like, I mean, I was, I was battling with that for a while. I really was. Um, and it took, it, it took me a while, you know, even though we've only been seeing each other since like end of May, early June, I think, um, I had already made up my mind, like, I am not dating anyone who would vote for President Trump. Like, I'm not. I'm absolutely not. And here this nice guy is, and I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, oh, damn. Or are you really going to be like that? Like, are you really going to do that? Come on. It might now. surprise you. It might surprise you. It might surprise you how many people do. And that's the thing. It was very surprising to kind of hear his views and read certain articles that he would send me which for a while I wouldn't because I was just like, I'm still trying to understand how you even support that, you know? But when I started kind of doing my own research and actually learning a little bit more about politics, mind you, not something I ever paid attention to until I started getting him. I kind of started seeing like, okay, I actually, there's some things I support on the conservative side. There's some things I support on the democratic side, you know, like there's, there's, I'm not really on either side right now. Will that happen? Maybe, maybe not. But, you know, I needed that reassurance that he was not going to, like, turn on me and turn into this, like, bigoted asshole of a person. Because <laughs> that's what I was, like, terrified of. And if you ask him, he'd be like, yeah, she spent a lot of time crying. <laughs> Some people support the party, not the person. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was part one of the episode of Caregiver for Caregiver with our dear friend, Laura Bellinger. And yeah, you never know what people are going through, folks. What an amazing life story. We're not even done yet. So this Friday, we'll be driving part two of A Caregiver for a Caregiver. Uh, my name is Jared Waters. I'm the host of the podcast, One Man, One Tree on a Hill. And we're going to take it out and see you Friday. Hey, you're live on the podcast, One Man, One Tree on a Hill. Say what up to the people. Now, this is when I see black excellence. It's Kenan Thompson. And I see this giant butt. I'm like, oh, who is that? Turns out it's Quest Love. It's Dave Chappelle. Chris Rock. Eddie Murphy, and they're all sitting at the table, and I walk up to Eddie Murphy, and I was like, hey, Mr. Murphy, I just want to say you're the GOAT, man. You're the coldest that ever walked the face of the earth. You got to break that thing over. She wants it private, but y'all not even together right now. So we haven't spoken about anything but the cat for at two least months. two months. And then I said, and I said, uh-uh, and I'll be the next Jamar Neighbors. And she was up like, I know that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the podcast. My name is Jerry Waters, and I'll catch you next time. Like, subscribe, rate the podcast. Have a wonderful night, wonderful day, whatever you're listening to. I'll see you soon.